Lord had to need Rolades, he's taken a few. How do you minister to grieving people that are Christians? With a word. It is our consolation. Our grass is withering. The flower is fading. And yet through the generations and the centuries, the 23rd Psalm has offered great courage and comfort and consolation to the people of God. Some of you have heard me do it two or three times. Throughout the psalm, there is a continuous emphasis upon the care of an attentive shepherd in the 23rd Psalm. And it has been stressed throughout the psalm that the welfare of the sheep is completely dependent upon the diligent effort and labor of the shepherd. All the benefits that are enjoyed by the flock, we learn in the 23rd Psalm, come from skilled and loving management by the shepherd, who not only pastors them, but pastures them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, what more could we want? He makes me to lie down in greed and pastures. It teaches me and I shall not lack rest. He leads me beside the still waters. I shall not lack refreshment. He restores my soul. I shall not lack restoration. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His namesake. I shall not lack regulation. He will guide me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod, which is God's powerful word, and Thy staff, which is God's powerful present, presence in the Holy Spirit, they comfort me. In other words, I shall not lack rescue. Shall not lack rest, refreshment, restoration, regulation, rescue. And then it says... Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, I shall not lack release. Release. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall not lack reward. I want you to look at verse 5. And I want to tell you here why I have included 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The psalmist says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, And you know what restrains him now. Now the one that's being restrained is the lawless one. And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. He's a mystery. But he is restrained, the lawless one. For the mystery of lawlessness, that's what it is. It's Satan himself. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He is the prince of this world. He is at work. What is his work? His work is a twofold work, summarized with one objective, to destroy the work of God. How does he do that? One, by trying to blind the elect of God and teaching them and showing them another way to take their eyes upon, off Jesus, to get them not to sing, I'd rather have Jesus, I'd rather have something else. And He does that. He has declared war on you as a believer. Those in Christ. And then those that are lost, He continues to torment them, and if they're lost, He will make them believe they're believers when they're not. There's no evidence whatsoever they're born again. And he will continue to work the evil and all other evil. He is, there is no truth in him. He is a liar. He cannot do any good. He cannot speak a truth. He cannot tell you a truth. He cannot tell you anything that is true. Jesus Christ says he is a liar and the father of lies. There is nothing that comes out of his mouth that's honest. So even his temptations are lies. The fear you feel doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from him. 
And so what does he say here? He says, and you know what restrains him now so that his time will be revealed and the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only who, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So it tells us in the scripture that God is restraining this evil one, the devil himself, and he is going to continue to work, but he's only going to be able to go so far, but there is going to be a day he's going to be taken out of the way. So let me point this out to you in light of the 23rd Psalm. You prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemy. So I want to give you five things to write down here, and then I'm going to move to the comfort. Number one, you need to write this down. God permits Satan to work. You can run around with your incantations, sending the devil to dry places and everything else. God is going to continue to let the devil work. It is in the Bible, 2 Thessalonians 2, 6, and 7. Number two, we live in a fallen world. Get over it. America is falling. Our constitutional government is falling. Our republic is falling. Everything in the world is falling. Everything you know is falling. Yesterday, OU was very fallen. I almost wanted to say something this morning at, at Cracker Barrel. There are all these OU people coming in. I thought I needed to buy them a meal, but I don't like Texas, so I just decided I would just save my money. But OU lost. We live in a fallen world. We've got fallen preachers, fallen bankers, fallen lawyers, fallen judges, fallen farmers. You've got fallen everything. It's fallen. Fallen marriages. Fallen husbands, fallen wives, hey, fallen children. Can I get an amen or an oh me? Yeah. Number three, but all of it is fallen under God. It's all under Him. Do you understand what that means? He knows what the devil's doing. The devil doesn't know what he's doing. God knows what He's doing because you know why? God's devil is the devil. It's not the devil is the God of our God. And so all that is happening in our world is happening under God, not outside of God. That's what the deists believe. The philosophers, there is no God. Well, they're just blind. The reality of it is everything that is happening under God. God was on the throne when Trump was president. He's on the throne when Obama and Biden is president. Jimmy Carter, you name them. On the, on the throne of God. Unmoved, he's on the throne. God knows of the 61 million abortions committed in this country. And by some strange reason has not sent a lightning bolt and nuked us. He knows about COVID. He knows all about that. Did you know I can't even walk around a car anymore or by the refrigerator without opening the door? I got the vaccine. It makes the doors open. I'm magnetic and I glow in the dark. And I still got COVID. But I want you to write number four down. He's going to make all things right. You want to know why? Look at this verse. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Who's preparing the table? God is. What does the New Testament tells us, tell us that's going to be seated at that table? The children of God. The elect of God. Who will be waiting on that table? What's His name? Jesus. That's number five. We live in a day of grace as the children of God. The devil cannot do all that he wants to do because there is one who restrains him. And it says right here in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And then what does he do? He says this, You anoint my head with oil. You know what that means? He consecrates us. He sets us apart. He makes us consecrated to God. And certainly then, what happens? My cup runs over. So this is the point why I want to tell you I'm preaching this message. I have for 11 years known I would one day go to the White's house 
like I did yesterday. Now, I'd already been there. The reason we didn't have church Wednesday night, and we've not told any of you, all of you this, but Johnny two weeks ago had COVID. There wasn't anything that was going to keep me from going to that house. We didn't have church Wednesday night, not because I was a home in a puddle of grief. It's because if, there is, if COVID's going around, I don't want to come do it. Okay? No symptoms. So yesterday I went in because when I saw Johnny the first time, she was still in bed with fever. I normally don't see ladies in their nightgowns laying in a bed, but her daughter was there and Bill's belt was wrapped around the chair, Texas A&M. Almost didn't want to touch it. But I sure didn't want to sit on it either. And I sat down next to her yesterday on the sofa. And this is what she said. James, my cup runs over. Don't let anybody tell you any otherwise. My cup has run over for 70 years being married to that man, and it continues to run over. I just wrote down in my book, my cup runneth over. I'm going to have about seven minutes to speak at the funeral. And I only have a few more minutes to speak here, so I'm just going to have to write a letter of what I feel. But that touched me that she said that. I don't know how you live with someone 70 years and they're gone. But right now she has the peace of the Lord. There's going to be a day when everyone will leave. Genevieve, you're going to have to go get that purple hat or whatever. Drive down there, whatever it is, the red hat club or whatever hat y'all wear and go take her down to Catfish Louie's. Surely my cup runneth over. We live in an age of grace, in a fallen world. The devil is still restrained. Yeah, but James, all this evil's happened. Yeah, but it's not happening to you. Why? Because God has restrained the evil. And one day, the devil's going to get his. We will be the ones laughing. We will be the ones laughing. He will get his. But the reality of it is we live in the here and now. So you know what? We just lost somebody that we love dearly. I mean, you don't hear it right now. You don't hear we're having church and you hear psst. You don't hear it. We were talking, we went to a Steinway concert down at Southwestern Seminary a couple years ago. They were recording it. Bill was on the front row. We were guests of the president of the seminary at that time. I brought a money man with me that was neither, not Bill or I. And, uh, and uh, we got seated on the front row and during the recording of this, you hear this beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. The whole time, Bill's alarm going off. Everybody knew where Bill was. But Bill has not been taken from us by the devil. Bill has not been removed from us because of the devil. And Bill was not stolen from God because of the devil. God keeps His covenant. That's why we're going to have communion. It's covenant. And now, Bill's Faith has given way to sight. We know that at the time of creation, which is today's reading in theology, if any of you want to read theology with me, very simple, very, very simple. I mean, cookies on the bottom shelf today was about creation. That's when time began, but there was eternity before it. Bill has already been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. No less days than to sing God's praise than when He first begun. We're not meant to understand it. We're meant to enjoy it. It was already pronounced, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of the Lord. I can hear Bill saying, well, what is the gospel? And someone give the answer correctly and he'll go, wrong! Because that was the answer to every question found that out that he did that with his grandchildren too. But what has he received in all of the time that he's been here? And you know, he, he was in Korea. And we were talking about the wars he was in. And, I, and, and Johnny said, well, but that wasn't his last war. And I said, what was the last war? 
And she said, you know what the last war was. I said, oh yeah, I know. We don't talk about that anymore. But now he's at rest. And so this is how we comfort ourselves. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There are those of us that remain that are looking forward to going to see Jesus. I've been preaching Jesus for 22 years. On the front of this sermon binder it says, Endure hardship, preach the word. One of these days I want to see this Jesus I've been preaching. What a glorious day. But I want to give you two main points talking about the reward of God to comfort you. The first one is this. In the ending, this psalm has two parts. Number one, God's goodness in provision. God's goodness in provision. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now that's a proud statement. That's a big boast. In fact, that's a boastful filled statement. It's an exclamation of an implicit confidence in the shepherd. It is hope on display. Jesus Christ is known as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. And since we're talking about Christ, let me ask this question in light of the boast that you see here. How many of us are truly concerned that no matter what occurs in our lives, we are being, we are being followed by goodness and mercy? Now you might believe it, but would, would your neighbor believe it? Would your pastor believe it? Would your loved ones believe it? Believe that that's what you believe? That goodness and mercy are following you? It's very simple to speak that way when things are going well, when you have excellent health, there's good income, our family is well, our friends like us. It's easy to talk about that and we can boldly and boldly say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of life. Look, I've got a mic and a care grace and a truant and I've got a this and a that. I've got a wonderful church. Surely goodness and mercy follow me. But what happens when our body breaks down and you don't have any insurance? What happens when you stand helpless when you're losing a loved one? Or, if you had, or you have to live with the guilt that you've applied to yourself that if you'd been there, he'd still be alive. A horrible torture of the devil. When your day's up, your day's up. Your days are numbered. You can't go past them. I preached that message at my mother's funeral. Bills will be exponentially harder. When your job folds up and there's no money to pay the bills, you've been there. Surely goodness and mercy follow you then. When your child makes bad grades or disappoints the family name. When your friends in fact prove to be false and turn against you, you learn the whole time that you thought they cared about you, they didn't care at all. When, you're, when the one you love walks out on you and you never ever return, how do you feel? Surely goodness and mercy fall? No, it's not very human to see that. You see bitterness, anger, the loss of self-control. These are the sort of times that test a person's confidence in Christ and it's what separates those who can give pontifications about Jesus and those who know Him. And that's an epidemic to this day. It is in these sort of times when our dreams are dashed, the chips are down, that concern is crushing us and the world falls apart, that we find the, plot, the pious platitudes even mean very little. When I sat down next to Johnny yesterday, there was nothing to be said. She did the talking. There was nothing to be said. They don't train you for that. Just be you. Be human. When our hopes have been shattered, can we honestly dare say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life? Brothers and sisters, the answer is yes, if you've had a real experience with Christ, if you're born again. You can remember His management over your affairs. You can remember that in the times of total calamity, He led you in the path that looked to you like a blind alley. You remember He took you through days that were as black as night. And He was there the whole time. And you look back at those times and you praise Him for it. 
because you wouldn't be who you are now without it. And He saw you through. Why? Because He restrained that evil one. Greater is He that is in you than he that's in the world. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. There were times where we're tempted to panic, to bolt, to leave His care. We may have had a strange, stupid notion we could survive better on our own, but Christ never gave up. Look at this. Look at the psalm. It says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me in the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. See, sheep won't drink out of running water. He leads them to still water. Now, I'm not talking about still water. I'm talking about still water. Those of us that are truly in Christ's care can truly boast. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we don't have to use words to do it. It's evident. You say in all of that hardship, all of that, everything that's going on, and you're saying that, yes. Yes. David, it took him 20 years to become... He was anointed king. It's 20 years before he sat on the throne. He went through everything under the sun. Jesus Christ was the king of kings and lord of lords. How did his life end? He didn't do anything wrong. They killed him. So I want you to know something. You don't want to have a perfect pastor because if you ever have a perfect pastor, you have to crucify him. And that's what would happen to anybody. Any Christian that's perfect. I think I preached a sermon about this a year in the last year since Easter. We don't want perfect people because if they're perfect, we'll kill them. But Jesus, He did it. And when, G- and when we call Jesus Savior and Lord, but it has to do with the Savior part. No difficulty can arise, no dim- d- dilemma can emerge, no disaster can descend on the life of the follower of Jesus without, eventual, without good coming from it. Good and mercy, write this down, good and mercy do follow us in Jesus Christ. You can say amen there. I will. Amen. Goodness and mercy do follow us. This becomes the great foundation. We sang, How firm a foundation ye say. Every word we've sung today and prayed has to do with this sermon. From the beginning. It takes me longer to prepare the bulletin worship than it does the sermon now. And it excites me beyond compare because it's one unit of thought. 1 John 4.10 says, Here in love is not that we love God, but that He loved us. When you don't believe, surely goodness and mercy follows you, you will attack God's love for you. God will not love you the way you love Him. He loves you with an everlasting, eternal, unconditional, divine love that there is no word in man's vocabulary that can describe it. So it is symbolized in a picture of a sinless lamb as a man, Jesus Christ, being crucified on the cross. Because you know why he knows talk is cheap. They deny the Holocaust. There are those who deny that we landed on the moon. There are those that deny that there are things that are taking place that are not taking place or that things are not taking place that are taking place. They do not, But no one denies there was a man that was crucified whose name was Jesus who they believed was the king of the Jews at the time, some crazy Messiah that said he would destroy the temple, be raised in three days, and went so far as to claim he was the Son of God. No one denies it. Not even the atheists. The problem with the atheists is not they don't believe us, they don't believe that there is anything called revelation. That's the issue. They don't believe in revelation. They only believe in science. So they're easy picking for the Lord. But if you... Get it where you say, I would have never lost my third child if God loved me. Aaron. I named him or her Aaron because that's a... me male or female. I'm going to meet him or her one day. She is of my loins or he is of my loins. 
But there was no doubt in my heart that God didn't love me. You know why? Because I said, I don't want a third kid. And so, I had to eat it. My foot chewed to my knee. But God is gracious in His love. So much so, He sent a, a Savior to be the propitiation of all my sin, to satisfy, to satisfy all the anger God has for my sinning and to make atonement for it. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sin. If you don't believe that, I promise you we're not going to find much goodness and mercy following you. And it'll be evident in the way you treat other people. You'll have no mercy. None. We love because He first loved us. He lo his love is based upon His own love. Do you want to write that down? God's love for you is based upon His own love. It's not based upon you. It's based upon His own love. My sincerity is based upon uh, His implicit and unshakable ability to do the right things. We can believe Him because He'll do the right things. And He does the best thing in every situation we take, even if He walks us through the valley of the shadow of death, which Bill just walked through. He didn't sit down in it. He didn't lay down in it. He didn't whimper in it. He didn't cry in it. He went through it. He went in by himself and he came out in the hand of the shepherd. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. This is the essence of all that has gone before us. In this psalm, all the care, all the work, all the watchfulness, all the skill, all the concern, all the sacrifice are born out of the shepherd's love for you. And it all comes from the one who loves the sheep, the one who loves his work, and the one who loves his role as your shepherd, Jesus Christ. He loves being your shepherd. He loves working on your behalf because he loves you. Period. And what you think looks so bad to him with a word. He can say, Talitha kumi, raise the dead. He can say, peace be still, and the ocean will become smooth as glass. Or he can say these words, it is I, be not afraid. On Sunday night, Bill at 8.20 told his family, I'm going to bed takes him about 50 minutes to put on his face cream, his hair gel, and make sure his bags under his eyes are doctored and everything. You know, go in there like other people do. Went in there, attached to his hose. Robbie comes in there. Dad, going to help you? Johnny is in another room sleeping. She's sick. She normally tends to the nightly duties of Bill. And Robbie said, Dad looked at me and smiled and said, I'll be okay. She went in to check on her mother, came back in the living room, sat down, fell asleep. Probably by the time she fell asleep, Bill White had gone into the presence of God. At 2.34, she woke up and all the lights were on the house. And the paramedics arrived at home. Baby daughter was sitting there trying to resuscitate a man that had already had rigor mortis. Blaming herself. But she'll be hearing this sermon in a few minutes. Robbie, you took him to the valley. And Jesus let him out. And we're talking about him right now in a sermon comforting our souls because goodness and mercy has followed Him. It is the overflow of goodness and mercy is it, is it the overflow and goodness of mercy that causes you to stop, retreat, 
become a recluse and become stagnant in your life? Is it because of goodness and mercy? Say, well, I've got to be a steward of my body. You can't be a good enough steward to give yourself breath because when the Lord says it's the last one, you're gone. Is it really that goodness and mercy follows you where you've got your life in such a state that there's no benefit that can pass through you onto someone else? I hope not. The world needs the church. And the church isn't the building, it's the people. I told my wife the other day, I said, quit ragging on the public schools. All of us Christians made a decision to take our kids out of them. Well, they look like they do, so quit ragging on them. And your daughter is a public school teacher, and we have dear friends that are. So stop it. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Be a part of the solution. Don't curse the problem. Our lives in turn should be ones whereby goodness and mercy follow in our footsteps. Let, listen, let me give this to you in a very crude example. Do you know that sheep under the proper management can be the most destructive of all livestock? They can. Um, in, in short order, they can ruin and ravage a land almost beyond remedy. And they can also, on the other hand, be the most beneficial of all the livestock in proper, if properly managed because there is something golden about their manure. Something more of quality than is produced by any other domestic animal. And when scattered efficiently over pastures, it proves an enormous benefit to the soil. And the sheep's habit of seeking the highest rise of the ground on which, rest, uh, on which to rest ensures something by God's eternal design that when they pass what they have to pass, seeking the higher ground, it flows from higher to lower. That would just kind of prove Ronald Reagan's point. God's all about trickle down. But that's another subject, and that would make Bill laugh. That which is deposited on the high comes down to the low. No other livestock will consume as wide a variety as herbage as a sheep. Sheep eat all sorts of weeds and other undesirable plants that might otherwise invade a field, and in a few years a well-managed flock of sheep will clean up and restore a field ravaged, of ravaged land like no other, no, other, no other creature can do. And in ancient literature, the sheep are referred to as those golden hooves. The golden hooves simply because they were regarded and esteemed so highly for their beneficial effect upon the land. Goodness and mercy follow sheep. They left behind something worthwhile. They left behind something productive and beautiful. They left behind something beneficial to themselves and to others. Where they had lived, there remained beauty and abundance. We will see this in the life of Johnny as she now lives out her days a widow. Beauty and life has been ensured. She is set up and taken care of. Sir Alfred Tennyson wrote in one of his great classics, the good men do lives after them. The good men do lives after them. Excuse me, I put my comma in the wrong spot. The good men do lives after them. I want to ask you a couple questions. Is this the way people feel about me? You're the me. Write that down. Is this the way people feel about me? Now, if, if you just said in your head, I want to tell you something, look at me. If you just said in your head, I don't care what people think. The very fact that you said that proves you absolutely care. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't say that. You do. And you should. A good name is, is to be desired above all things. Is this the way people feel about me? That's a question to each one of us. Is this the way people feel about me? That I leave good? Do I leave a trail of sadness or gladness behind me? 
do they want to see me coming or do they want to see or do I want do I want them to see me going in my memory in other people's minds entwined with mercy and goodness or would they rather forget me altogether is my life a pleasure to people or is it a pain when I started the ministry they told me something that I totally can handle but I couldn't handle it when I started the ministry but in five years most men finished they're done with the ministry they quit that are educated men they go to seminary and, and they're called to ministry and they quit. And the reason they quit is because they can't handle what is called the joy sucker. It's a person that walks around whose whole intention is to pour water on your happiness. Churches have bucket committees uh, to pour water on any plans of change or anything. But if you cannot handle people that are negative, then you're not going to make it because you're dealing with people that, like yourself, have issues. Well, listen to this. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bringeth good tidings, that publish peace. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet. These are hinds feet in high places. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of them that bring good tidings, that publish feet. Do you leave behind peace or turmoil? Do you leave behind forgiveness or bitterness? Do you leave behind contentment or conflict? Do you leave behind flowers of joy or frustration? Do you leave behind love or rancor? I'm going to tell you something. My friend Bill White and your friend Bill White, he didn't leave any of that behind. He brought peace. He is a very forgiving man, content, joyous, and very loving. And I know He meant as much to you as He did to me. I have no exclusive claim to having strong feelings for Uncle Bill. I want you to know that. So many leave a sorry mess behind that wherever they go, they prefer to cover their tracks. They don't want anybody to know. The true child of God, the one under the shepherd's care, leaves, left a, leaves or has left a legacy of uplifting encouragement and inspiration to others. Folks, there's still time for us all to do that. The child of God is not the one who sits upon the pedestal of their self-pride and looks with contempt on, upon their contemporaries. This is one of the darkest, saddest things I see amongst Christendom today. You can't be a Christian and be this. You can't be a Christian if you don't trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, savingly. That's it. The child of God is not one who does not get down and identify themselves with the dilemmas of other sufferings and extend a small measure of good and mercy to them, to themselves, and to their, by themselves, and, and by the shepherd that saved them. So let's ask some more questions and then I'll move on. I'm almost finished. Do you see sinners with the compassion of Christ? Well, if you don't, then I want you to start looking at Joe Biden with the compassion of Jesus. If you've got a let go Brandon flag, uh, there's, a, there's a house out where I live. They're flying the Texas flag on top and a black flag on the bottom, the black American flag. Do you know what the black American flag means? It's blacker than this robe. It means you come on my property, I'm going to kill you. There will be no questions, no talking, no quarter. It's a war flag. It is completely and totally inappropriate. You do not fly the Texas flag above the American flag. And you do not fly a black... Now you say, well, I have freedom of speech. There is a difference between free speech and speech without consequence. There is something to be said about appropriateness of speech. You have the very right to stand up in here and yell fire right now, and I have the very right to have you locked up on a felony for doing it. And do not doubt it. But you say, I have free speech. Yes, you also have the freedom to be a complete and total moron. If you are a Christian, if you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, then I'm going to just hit you where the biggest challenge is. And maybe you're a Trump hater. Well, then you need to start looking at Him with the eyes of Jesus.
I think we could all agree we need to look at Hillary that way. And it's just hard to look at her. Do you understand? So you're being political. Okay. But tell me how it's wrong. You want to change the president you got? Pray for him. You're commanded to. Write this down. The only real practical measure of my appreciation for goodness and mercy of God to me, the only real practical measure of my appreciation for the goodness and mercy of God to me is the extent to which I am in return prepared to show goodness and mercy to others. Let Fox News judge them. Let CNN do it. You be the light of the world. You be you. Let them be them. Men and women who know firsthand about goodness and mercy of our God in their lives will be warm and affectionate with goodness and mercy to others. And this is the benefit to them, but equally important, it's a blessing to God. So we're speaking of the reward of God. The psalm ends with two parts. We've covered the first one. God's goodness and provision. Number two, God's presence in glory. Very quickly, God's pleasant presence in glory. The psalm opened with a proud, joyous statement. The Lord is my shepherd. It closes with an equally positive, buoyant affirmation where David declares and shouts, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's I am, so I will. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He truly experienced the fullness of God. We have learned over the times of our lives that He gives us peace and joy in our lives. He quenches our inner thirst. When our relationship with the Good Shepherd is broken, He tenderly and lovingly brings us back. He guides us along the right path in life so that our lives will bring honor to His name, sometimes using the pulpit to do it. When we walk through the dark valleys in our lives and don't need to be afraid because we know the Good Shepherd is with us, it's palpable, we can feel it. He has given us the tools we need, our rod, which is the Word of God, and the staff, which is the Spirit of God. He's gone before us to prepare the place that He's taking us to, and He's prepared the way for us to get to that place and forgiven us in that process and overflowed us with His goodness. He anoints us with the Holy Spirit that has made us totally set apart for His use unlike any other thing that could do it. And He fills our lives with blessings so much that our cups overflow that a widowed woman of 70 years marriage can say, first word, my cup overflows. And when we follow our Good Shepherd and allow Him to take care of us, we have a never-ending supply of goodness and mercy. And one day... One day, He's going to let us see His face. And where He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Faith will give way to sight as the clouds are rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend and we will proclaim, it is well, it is well with my soul. Sir, we would have you give us Jesus. So to close, David was looking forward to spending eternity in the presence of the Almighty. I so very much wanted Uncle Bill to see the foundation laid of a journey church building. But he saw something far greater. He saw a group of people that stayed faithful. And he didn't make enemies out of those that moved on. I want you to write this down. You all need to hear this. Do not require people to make 
your enemies their enemies. Do not require to make your enemies other people's enemies. That is one thing Bill White could do. A man could stab him in the back and he could turn around and offer his hand and say like he said, he did, Bill White! Bill couldn't be stabbed in the back anymore in this town than he was, so they just stabbed him in the front. And it, was, it, was, it did nothing to him. He was a, he's a good man. And goodness and mercy, and there was no, he had no enemies. Some folks think in Christianity that you should have one. Listen, we have one enemy. He's been conquered. It's called death. And the devil, he's restrained. Jesus Christ said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. The word mansion means mansoi. In the Greek, it's a permanent place of habitation. You can never leave it. Once you're there, you're stuck forever. If it were so, I would, have, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. We know this without a doubt. I don't know if Jesus came for Loretta Lynn, but I believe based upon what followed my friend's life, that that night they didn't dispatch Gabriel, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't dispatch Michael, they didn't dispatch some angel that was an Aggie, they dispatched Jesus. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you too are very important to God. There was a man that tells a story about having his own sheep and a shepherd next door to him, separated by a fence that ran into the water, into the surf. On his side was beautiful, glorious green grass, fat sheep with wonderful wool, Healthy, attentive, and at peace. The other side of the fence was a cruel shepherd whose land had been ravaged. Sheep were mangy and awful, and the sheep were all the time trying to come through the fence to get to the green pasture on the other side, but instead would risk the surf and go down and come in. Well, those six sheep would come over there on the side of the good shepherd. And they would graze until and begin to become fit and healthy until the shepherd across the fence realized that some of his sheep were grazing in another field. So he would come and demand and take his sheep back to the other side. And because they had wandered off, every time he slit their throat and killed them. He was a cruel shepherd. That is not the shepherd Jesus Christ. That is the shepherd that is everything of this world, the prince of darkness. Who is your shepherd? He is one who gives goodness of provision and he gives you the presence of glory. What's your life look like? You, you really can't fool some of us. You, I mean, Brother Larry and I talk all the time about people, not about like, well, let's talk about Jeff today, and then we're going to talk about Kayleen. We're going to talk about Nancy Bullard. She's such a troublemaker. You know, talk about her. No, that's not it. We talk about behavior, people, how people behave. If you do something long enough, you can pretty much read people. You can say all the pious platitudes you want. You can try to convince me or somebody else that you believe what you believe, but the, the, what's left behind shows the goodness and mercy's not there. So imagine I'm doing your funeral tomorrow. What do you think the family's going to tell me? Everything that's great. And James will go polish the apple and get his $10 tip. 
and that's the way it'll be. I will lie to God, lie to the family, and lie for the one that's deceased. But see, it shouldn't even be a question for us as believers. And that's the challenge of this passage. David was a fallen man, but boy, he got up one great getting up morning. And David is a perfect picture of all of us. Fallen, but saved by grace. And goodness followed him. So, living the Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is not about hoping you won't get caught in sin. It's about trusting that He will care for you and provide for you like a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's not a bad one that's going to kill you when you mess up. It's about knowing our shepherd's voice and joyfully and obediently following Him. He will never tell you anything that is not consistent with the Scripture. Ever! So He's not going to tell you to take grand instead of taking elm. I don't even know there's an Elm Street. I know he won't do that. It's not that way. So in conclusion, we've seen the goodness of God's presence. God's goodness and God's presence. The Lord is my shepherd. What more could I want? I'm not going to lack any rest. I'm not going to lack any refreshment, restoration, regulation, rescue. I'm not going to lack any release. And I'm not going to lack the reward if he's my shepherd. And that's a consolation for us that are sheep on this side of the fence of eternity and the sheep on the other side of the fence. We have God's goodness and provision and we are still waiting for God's presence and glory. Everything in the psalm has to do with Christianity. It shows us how to live selfishly, I'm sorry, selflessly and not just survive selflessly in the midst of the valleys and the mountaintops. Christianity, closing, listen, Christianity does not remove you from the world. Christianity does not remove you from the world and its problem. It makes you fit for it. To live in it triumphantly and usefully. C.S. Lewis said, God who foresaw your tribulation, tribulation has specially armed you to go through it. Not without pain, but without stain. Bill White has received his reward. And part of the reward he has seen that the church he loves so much used this morning to honor the Lord and to hit the high places of his own life. A fallen man. But part of the reward is that one day his own wife will meet him and she'll say it was a glorious time when you left because I learned of a peace that surpasses an understanding I never knew I could have. And it even drew me closer to Jesus. That came because He was the Lord of the home. And it came because it was a home of honor. Amen.